If a banker is a public servant, if a banker is uh, wakes up every morning to help people make money work for them, uh, for their families, for their businesses, for their lives, uh, for their careers, for their ideas, uh, and help people uh, leverage uh, finances as uh, a building block to their like dreams. I, I think that's what a banker is. Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I am your host, David Ryling, and I am very excited to welcome St. Paul's Mayor Melvin Carter today. Mayor Carter, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Fantastic. Well, just before we get started today, just want to remind our audience to stick around at the end for our musical feature. Uh, the Next Gen Banker episode short showcases one new artist uh, from somewhere around the globe uh, every episode. So check it out uh, at the end of this podcast. So uh, we're honored today to have the uh, mayor of the city of St. Paul, Melvin Carter. Uh, mayor Carter was elected in 2017 and is currently serving in his second term. He has made equity a priority in his agenda, increasing resources for underserved populations, communities, and creating programs like College Bound St. Paul, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Before taking office, Mayor Carter was St. Paul City's City Council and also held previous positions as board chair of St. Paul Promise Neighborhood, director of Minnesota Office of Early Learning, and the executive director of Minnesota's Children's Cabinet. So, Mayor, with, with that kind of setup, let's go right into the questions. Um, you've worked extensively on equity-based agenda since your election five years ago. And being a business that's headquartered in St. Paul, so we've seen your work firsthand relative to uh, the raise in minimum wage, expanding programs for rec centers, and much more. So where do you see St. Paul now compared to 2017? And how has that focused on equity helped the community thrive? Well, thank you for the question. I appreciate that. Uh, you are a St. Paul business. Uh, you're my bank. I've had an account with you since about fifth grade. And so I appreciate you guys as uh, the, the way uh, Sunrise serves in community. There's been a couple of names since my since I was in fifth grade, uh, but it's the same entity. It's the same connection. It's the same uh, commitment and service to community. Uh, and I greatly appreciate uh, having a partner uh, like you guys. So thanks for having me here. I think the first question is uh, really critical. Where are we as opposed to five years ago? And the answer is we're on a journey. Uh, we know that this is uh, going to be a long-term journey. We didn't expect to, you know, quote unquote, solve anything in four years or in five years. Uh, but the goal is to put St. Paul on a journey towards kind of broader, uh, more shared prosperity. Uh, and I think the first question of that journey, and you're absolutely right, some of the things we've done uh, from raising the minimum wage uh, to college-bound St. Paul uh, to guaranteed income tri uh, trial and all those types of things really center around having more democratic, uh, a more democratic economy, democratic with a small d, of course, uh, ec economy uh, where, you know, St. Paul, Minnesota has always had enough to go around. It just hasn't always gone around. And so, you know, the, the first driving question for us, and we can get into it more, if we're going to focus on equity is what does equity mean 
oftentimes in our social justice circles, we get stuck and we're not sure because it's this amorphous concept. We sort of know what it's not, but we don't know what we're guiding towards. Uh, and you can't build something, you can't grow something, you can't get something uh, if you don't know what it is just on the basis of a definition of what it's not. So for me, I go to a definition that uh, will be no stranger to sunrise at all. Uh, when I was in business school, uh, equity was a money word. It wasn't a social justice word at all. Uh, it referenced uh, shares of ownership. Uh, it referenced uh, participation in decision-making processes. And it referenced participation in an economy. If I own equity in a company, that company has a good quarter, I have a good quarter too. So that's the driving uh, perspective. That's the driving approach toward equity that we take is it's about um, uh, ensuring every member of our community is both that sort of symbolic owner of our community and the, the, the things that happen in uh, City Hall, but also facilitating wealth creation through asset ownership and accumulation of appreciating transferable assets. The second piece is inviting people into the decision-making process. You and several folks from uh, Sunrise have been into a part of those, uh, those processes on a various number of things. And we think if we do those two things really right, uh, that's the route toward a shared economy. Well, that's fantastic. And so let's jump right into it because Justice Page, a, a line that he said one time, he said, educational justice or equity is social equity or justice. And so that has always stuck in my head. And so when I think about the initiative uh, of College Bound St. Paul, and for those listeners who don't know the program, the, the basic uh, elements of the program is that every child born in the city starts with a $50 college savings account. And I see uh, firsthand, and I've worked, uh, and I do work on, with nonprofits trying to get first-generation young adults through high school and into college and through college to be successful. So there are so many obstacles that that they face, and, and money is one of them, but a very important one. And so, when when you think about this seed of of fifty dollars in a college savings account, what encouraged you to get this program going? And what, maybe what does success look like? David, I fell in love with the concept of college savings accounts back when I was working at the state uh, as executive director of the Minnesota Children's Academy. I heard uh, a, a research report that suggested that children with college savings accounts uh, who graduate from high school are more likely to go to college. That seemed really obvious and maybe one of the most self-selecting studies I've ever heard until I heard the details, which was children from low and moderate income families who have literally more than $1 set aside for college when they graduate from high school are three times more likely to go to college. And when they do, they're four times more likely to graduate. To be clear, when I say college, I mean something after high school. So we're, we're being very inclusive here. Uh, that seems like too much to know to not do something about. Um, and, and, and it's really a, a, a mindset shift. I was on a comedy show once and the, the host goes, you know, $50 for college, huh? That might not be enough. You know, and there's, a, there's, there's the punchline. But here's the thing, it's not really about the amount of money anyways. It's about the powerful statement that we make when we tell our children we believe in you enough to invest in you. Uh, and that when we invest directly in people, there's always a return. There's children born every day in St. Paul and across our country for whom high school graduation looks like a finish line. And so while $50 might not pay for a first semester in college, what it can do is create a powerful vehicle for us to start casting our imagination beyond that line of high school graduation from birth. 
everybody who comes to you for a loan, everybody who comes to you for a savings account, everybody who comes to you uh, for financial products, they have some vision in mind. And if they didn't have a vision in mind, they wouldn't be coming to you. Nothing would be able to, to, to manifest. And so this is about sowing that vision into our community for all of our children. You said all of our children, and that's exactly right. I love telling mothers that if you have a child in St. Paul and you don't want your child to have a college savings account, there's paperwork to fill out because you really mean every single child in our community. We're really excited about it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Now, you recently announced the expansion of the program. And so we can talk a little bit about what what the next steps are there. But also included in that was, I think, a component of guaranteed income and somewhat of a college savings bonus, if you will, that's that's attached to that. And well, tell us a little bit more about that. So the, the, the researcher who I was quoting uh, actually ends up being the researcher who's doing the research and the evaluation on the work that we're doing now. Um, and it's, it's really important uh, in the political space. We don't have a whole lot of experience with elected leaders saying, here, I'm going to create an infrastructure to provide independent academic third-party evaluation on the work that I'm promising this community is going to make a difference in our community. But this has to be about getting it right, not being right. And so that's why we're doing this. That's why we're committed to this. That researcher, uh, he starts saying stuff like the St. Paul way. And the St. Paul way is helping to facilitate both income uh, and asset building at the same time. Uh, There's this grand uh, debate over whether the answer is income or whether the answer is asset building. Uh, hopefully all of your bankers are making good money and they're uh, putting something in a 401k, <laughs> you know, and, you know, helping to build assets. It, the two have to go kind of uh, hand in hand. So that's what we're doing together. But you asked me what success looks like, and that's an important thing, though, because this isn't just about putting, you know, 50 bucks in the bank and coming back 20 years from now to see how we did. We're the first city to launch college savings accounts initiative that starts at birth. It features universal enrollment at birth, uh, universal automatic enrollment at birth. We're excited about that. And what it does is it gives the opportunity. One of the things I've heard from kindergarten teachers all across the state in my former role was their frustration at what they call kindergarten surprises. The number of children who show up at five years old who nobody knew they were coming and have these severe delays that our kindergarten teachers swear we could have done something about if we had known that child was out there. That's so unacceptable, David. We know, like Those children are on childcare. Those children are on WIC. Those children are in our libraries. Those children are in our rec centers. And here we are saying, oh, we didn't know those children were out there, so we didn't get a chance to serve them. The most exciting thing about College Bound St. Paul is for $50 a month, it does all that, that other stuff I just discussed, but it also gives us a vehicle right at birth to begin building that connection and begin building that relationship with our children. I believe that we'll be able to leverage this vehicle, not just to improve 20 years from now, the number of our kids who are in college and pursuing post-secondary education, but to improve the number of children in just a couple of years who will be walking into kindergarten ready to learn. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and I give you great credit. And I have heard uh, from some of my colleagues around the country as to what's going on in St. Paul, which is so great to hear. Is that right? From being a business in St. Paul to saying, you have this college savings account. How, what's going on there? My mayor was asking or my city council was uh, was inquiring. And so uh, you, you just got to know from my lens and my perspective, I'm proud of what you're doing and, and leading that way in, in terms of equity, in particular in regards to, uh, obviously, Obviously, there's an early childhood development piece of this as well as the post-secondary. Right. 
Now, you mentioned one thing that uh, I was really uh, interested about because you just released a new budget with the city. And uh, I was told by a nun one time, I was growing up in the Catholic school, she said, you know, something to the fact that, you know, where you spend your money is where your values are. And I interpreted that as, you know, a budget, whether it's a government budget or a business or a personal budget reflects one's values. And in the new city budget, you made a special allocation to libraries. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. You're right. Our mantra in our administration is if your budget doesn't reflect your values, then they're not really your values because your budget does reflect your values no matter what you say or no matter what you tweet. Since the beginning of time, as far back as I can read in my history books, libraries have been the icon of free democratic access to information. Um, We've messed some of that up. But we're trying to unravel some of that. You know, in my first budget as mayor, we eliminated late fines in our libraries so that the 50,000 St. Paul families whose lending privileges were revoked then for as little as $10 in late fees, late fines dating back 10 years. Now, you've got some accounts receivable folks who work with you guys. Uh, $10 from 10 years ago, let's not waste our time, right? <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, there's an allowance for a doubtful account somewhere in there. Um, and so I always tell folks like this was a really hard policy to make until we realized we actually do want children to read. Um, and uh, as a result of that policy, uh, we saw double digit increases in library use in all of our lowest income neighborhoods. So we're trying to redefine what a library is in our community uh, through find free libraries, uh, through a program called Read Brave, through which we invite people to get together and kind of uh, read about issues of our day uh, and to kind of grow our consciousness together. Uh, we've hired social workers to embed in our libraries so that our librarians can't aren't just connecting people to Encyclopedia Britannicas. They're connecting people to like everyday today resources that can help them succeed. Uh, and so different steps like that. So yes, we're investing heavily in our libraries. We're going to continue to double down uh, because um, as Justice Page said, uh, educational access uh, is clearly a key. Now, you and I both know there are still disparities at play, uh, that there are still kind of challenges uh, that face African-American men, for example, with a bachelor's degree that don't necessarily face uh, white men with a bachelor's degree. So we have to you know, take some of those uh, challenges head on. Uh, but it does start, I fundamentally believe, with access to education, access to information, and the type of resources we can provide through our libraries and our schools. Yeah, and such a, a a long-standing asset of the community or institutional library is, but to reimagine it and to bring in social workers and to bring in other resources in there such that the library is reimagined and that it's a place to go for knowledge and help and support, um, it almost, to me, seems like, duh, why didn't we think of this before? Um, it's, so, it's so obvious when you and I were growing up, libraries were designed to be places for books. Yes. That's so such an obvious mistake. But I'm really proud we have got an incredible, and I think the St. Paul Public Library is as good as anybody. Uh, We are redefining those spaces as spaces for people. And it's a fundamentally different set of decisions, but it's exciting. Yeah. So let me just take in a different direction now, um, because I was listening to a Minnesota Public Radio podcast, and there was a quote in there where I believe you said that you were raised to be a problem solver and find ways to take responsibility. And so, you know, this, uh, this passion around equity um, what was it in your upbringing that that drove you to focus on equity as as a as a key focus in your time in the city council and as mayor? It's a good question. You know, I grew up here in St. Paul, and um, I grew up around some just incredibly brilliant people. 
Uh, and David, if you if, if you got a chance to meet some of the young people who I grew up with at Central High School and in, in, our, in our public schools and in our neighborhoods and in the rec centers, uh, you wouldn't think I was all that sharp because <laughs> you know, I've just grown up around some incredible people. And some of those people who I spent my entire life fascinated by and amazed by just weren't able to find a place in this world. I visited one of my closest friends in life in um, who had a, a, a nervous breakdown literally two weeks after we graduated from high school and has, has never been the same ever since. Um, and I have to process a lot of frustration uh, that not only that I've, I, that I've seen really incredible people seem like they get swallowed up by sets of circumstances that are outside their doing, uh, that are outside of their control. Um, I get frustrated by the amount of um, human potential that we like go to waste in our community. Um, and even more so by the somewhat, oftentimes it seems, um, sometimes it seems sort of uh, the, the random distribution. You don't, you don't understand how or exactly why, but then you zoom out and it's not random at all. It's very predictable. We still live in a city where we can predict the child's expected life outcome more based, more more accurately based on her race and her zip code than based on her GPA, um, and that's not enough. That's not enough for me. It's not enough for my kids. It's not enough for your kids. It's not enough for our regional economy. Um, and for me, St. Paul uh, can and should be so much more than what we've historically been. Uh, I know there are some of us who are who well, change is uncomfortable for anybody. So you know, as we've sort of driven the ball pretty hard on change toward equity. I know it makes a lot of folks in our community uh, uncomfortable, uh, but here's the thing. The biggest and brightest and best St. Paul wasn't in the 70s. It wasn't in the 60s. It wasn't in the 80s. It wasn't in the 90s. I fundamentally believe it's in front of us, and I can't wait to get us there. That's fantastic. So uh, I'll narrow you down, uh, particularly to the audience, in terms of the, the bankers who are listening. And one of the circumstances that that we face um, as bankers, but as a really as a community, is the disconnect between uh, banks and bankers and um, communities that we would call underserved at the moment. And that fundamental lack of trust or really the barrier of that's not a place for me. Um, when you think of banks and, and trust and that relationships and those roadblocks, um, how can banks build trust and be an engine for good in their community and try to break that down? Um, I think it's about adding value. Um, I always hate it when people say there's two kinds of people in this world. But that notwithstanding, there's two kinds of people in this world. Uh, there are those who money works for uh, and there are those who money works against. And, uh, and that's a space where we've seen uh, incredible and enormous disparities. Uh, just two years ago, when we saw the world explode in the protest over the murder of George Floyd, um, I fundamentally believe that that wasn't just about police brutality. It just wasn't. That wasn't just about uh, police killings. Um, that was about uh, all of the frustration that exists on the planet, about all of the ways people of color, in particular black and brown Americans, look and can see these systems that are supposed to be protecting us, that are supposed to be helping us raise our children and helping us uh, pass uh, this baton uh, to our next generations in a stronger kind of space and feel like they have their knee on our neck, 
right? Um, that's not just our law enforcement and public safety systems. That's our financial systems. That's our uh, political systems. That's our healthcare systems. That's our employment systems, et cetera, our housing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think the future of banking is helping to identify, whereas it's historically, I think, been um, um, competing internally uh, to identify the folks who money is working for and try to get them over here, try to get them you know, uh, to move into from one institution to the next. I think the future of banking and maybe the, the, the largest um, uh, enterprise uh, or, or emerging market on the horizon for, for you and for the industry is probably all the people for whom money has worked against them, all the people uh, who are still putting money in jars, all the people who uh, are still banking at you know pawn shops and same day lenders uh, that are sucking the life out of our communities, uh, you know, financially speaking, uh, helping to figure out how to connect those individuals uh, to to responsive, responsible financial products that can help them build their life forward. Uh, I think that's really exciting. It's some of the work we're trying to facilitate through our Office of Financial Empowerment. How do we make sure that people can, uh, who work at a business can buy that business, whether that's individually or whether that's a cooperative model? How do we make sure that people who uh, pay more to rent a smaller place every month without gaining wealth uh, can get over that hump to become homeowners and start to accumulate the wealth uh, that so many of us do through home ownership? Uh, how do we facilitate people saving for college, saving for retirement? How do we facilitate kind of those types of steps uh, so that we give your employees and all your bankers who work for you a whole lot more work to do because we got a whole lot more customers in St. Paul than you have anywhere else. Which is great. A, a bank should be eager to take advantage of that. Um, let me kind of tease it out for you in the next gen banker question here at the end. And that is, um, I, I'm going to call it from from your seat as mayor, but really personally, what do you see as what does the next generation banker look like? Wow, that's a um, of 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 all the people working on this podcast and listening to this podcast, I'm probably the the hands down least qualified person <laughs> to say that. So let's just to answer that question. So let's just acknowledge that up front. Um, I think. Uh, if a banker is a public servant, uh, if a banker is uh, wakes up every morning to help people make money work for them, uh, for their families, for their businesses, for their lives, uh, for their careers, for their ideas, uh, and help people uh, leverage uh, finances as uh, a building block to their like dreams, I, I think that's what a banker is. Um, you know, our community in particular in St. Paul, we're so much more diverse, we're so much more international, we're so much more multicultural, we're so much more multilingual uh, than we used to be. That The first part of that question uh, has to be, I think, taken literally, yep. and that is bringing more diverse individuals into the field so that we can connect with that kind of broader, more diverse set of folks. We uh, have uh, been reported as having the most diverse uh, cabinet in city history. And people say, how do you do How did you do that? Um, and it's kind of a funny question to me, because if you just think about probability and statistics, uh, our city is diverse. So you don't really have to do something special to get a diverse cabinet. You have to do something special to not get a diverse cabinet. <laughs> And so the way that we did that was we engaged people in our community uh, to be a part of that process. Uh, and so 
all that to say is, I think the first part of the question is physically, what does the new age banker look like? They've got to look like our yep. community. They've got to be able to talk like our community. They've got to be able to speak in the languages, uh, whether that's the sort of uh, tongues or that's like the cultural languages of our community to be able to connect Sunrise Banks and all of our other financial institutions to the products that you provide. Um, Sunrise, I've always been a fan of Sunrise and some of the products that you guys do to help people fix their credits, to help people establish credits, to help people kind of build their lives. It feels like above and beyond what I see kind of regular, quote unquote, regular banks doing. And so I always appreciate the way you guys facilitate that. Um, but then the bigger thing for me is, you know, what what do you do? And that's a challenge for us because one of my challenges to my cabinet is we can't just provide great stuff inside the library and say, well, it was there uh, if people wanted it. We can't just have police officers kind of sitting and waiting for something bad to happen and say, well, they could have called 911. We can't just uh, say we provided a service and people sort of failed to kind of access it. Um, it's got to be about um, maybe my shortest answer is I think the new age banker has got to have real worn out shoes. Yeah. They got to be out in community. They got to be beyond the computer screen, beyond the doors. They got to be out there talking to people and engaging people and really finding people uh, and helping uh, bring. Uh, we, you know, we talk about the 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 hundred dollar cover charge to go to Target. Uh, I walk in a Target and they figure out how to put everything I could possibly need on my path right on my pathway, uh, and you know they 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 solve problems I didn't even realize I had before I parked the car and walked in there. Um, that's the type of approach uh, that I would love to see our new age bankers take to connecting all of our residents in all of our neighborhoods to prosperity. Well, that is a fantastic answer. I, 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 I love the nuggets of that being proactive and in service of others, that being a banker in some respects is being the, that public servant, but um, one that engages proactively. So, Mayor, I want to thank you for several things, being with us today, for one, um, but also for your leadership in regards to equity. It is so near and dear to my heart, but it's so important for not only our community in St. Paul and the greater Twin Cities, but but nationally as well. So please know what you're doing is having an impact, uh, I think, more than nationally. I think it's having an impact around the world. So well, thank you I again. I already said it, David, but I think it bears repeating to me, and this is my challenge for everybody who's committed to equity, uh, is to shift beyond, like, how do we do more for that community or how do we do more for those children and those families to, like, what I said earlier. It's uh, To me, the question is, um, how do we engage when we identify a community that we think we want to serve better, or a neighborhood, or a family? The quest, the first question is, how do we engage them to be to know that they're stakeholder owners of our bank or our city or our business or a nonprofit or an institution, whatever it is? The second thing is, as stakeholder owners, if they really are, um, how do we engage more members from that community uh, as decision-making partners uh, in the decisions that we make around the products that we serve, around the, the different core decisions that we make around how we serve our, our public? Um, and I think those two steps alone um, are the key uh, to, or I think without those two steps, you won't be able to achieve that third kind of piece that I mentioned, and that's that real shared economy where people are where people are really benefiting from the work that you do. And, you know, I, I, I think, David, if uh, families and businesses and community members and nonprofits uh, start to tell each other at the beauty shop and start to tell each other at the barbershop and at the coffee shop, I'm better off. My business is better off uh, because of what Sunrise is doing. Uh, then the messaging will take care of itself. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for those insights and wisdom. And one thing that I wake up every day in is uh, the only reason the bank is successful is our customers are successful, our community is successful. And so uh, what you said so eloquently there is, is so true in the engagement uh, of all those involved in the broader stakeholders. Mayor Carter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing Adrian Walther. Walther's creates songs using minimal piano and acoustic guitars. Throughout his catalog, you'll always find an emotional theme. Here is Wherever You Are by Adrian Walther, featuring Jesse Villa. Wherever You Are by Adrian Walther, featuring Jesse Villa. Find more of Adrian Walther's music on Spotify. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, just email David at nextgen-banker.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you next time.